0: Listeners, welcome to the 128th episode of The Goods, a film podcast. Summer has just arrived. It is the beginning of June. We passed Memorial Day, and I think sweating out there somewhere is Brian. How are we doing, Brian?
1: Yes, I just took my shirt off. Dan likes to have these Zoom recordings with the camera on, but I said, nope, I'm going off cam. It's too hot in this room that I'm in. (laughs) and you know technically we're not at the summer equinox yet so actually there is no summer equinox solstice that's right that's like the what the 24th or something yeah around about the 21st i I think it shifts a day or so interesting but i always remember it by the 21st you know winter twenty first, uh december 21st right for winter
0: but it varies a little bit so we're about a week away from my 35th birthday, and what I proposed at the end of last episode was that we would dole out birthday-related stuff and then have a kind of a blowout in conjunction with me renting out a theater a few weeks after my actual birthday. So this is kind of part one of that. So we're going to talk about the film Recess Schools Out an animated film from 2001. I'll talk a little bit about why I think it's a good birthday movie for me here in a second. We're also going to talk about the show Recess, which I caught up with for the first time ever, despite enjoying the movie quite a bit um, this past week. And Brian can maybe share his experience with the show Recess, the animated Disney show. And then we're going to pivot to a top five In the spirit of the show Recess with its excellent theme song, we're going to count down our top five TV theme songs, which is something that Brian and I have thought and talked a lot about over the years, and we can give a little more context for that as well. But Brian, I think I've I've just outlined our our, uh, itinerary for the day. Did I miss anything there? Are you excited for all this? Yeah, we've got a
1: lot to cover. Man, narrowing down the theme songs was tough. It was Sophie's Choice territory. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, And then, oh, I remembered one other thing. And then we're going to have a little bit of a surprise at the very end of the episode related to a slight development for this show overall. So we can talk about that.
1: Ooh, interesting.
0: But, Brian, let's start by talking Recess and Recess Schools Out. So I selected Recess Schools Out as like a, a sort of micro birthday episode. Um, I I think it's a terrific movie. We'll talk about why. There's spoilers. I like it a lot. And the reason I think it works well as a birthday movie is because, uh, first of all, it takes place right around the end of the school year, which is right around when my birthday always is. So it just feels in line with that. I, I think that's maybe why, or at least part of the reason why I really like movies and TV shows that deal with the end of the school year. That's just like an exciting time. I guess also the start of the school year. I also like those too. but I kind of teased last time that I have a whole bunch in that sort of subgenre that I could have picked. And this is one that I went with and it it deals with not just the end of a school year, but kind of built into that almost symbolically sort of a a tribute to childhood and and the kind of end of the innocence of childhood and looking into the adult world. And to me, that also feels in spirit with a birthday. Oh, that's that's really interesting. You
1: know that your birthday is at that time of year, which is the ending of the school year, which is, you know, an end of one thing and a beginning of another. Uh, whereas my birthday is in January, which obviously aligns with the calendar, the Gregorian one, at least. That's when the year flips over and obviously a very different season. So I, I associate different memories with birthday time. Uh, it's almost like, what do they say in Groundhog Day? It's going to be cold, it's going to be bleak, and it's going to last you the rest of your life.
0: <laughs> and whereas my disposition is much sunnier when it comes to birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe in general, I don't know. But yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. So I, as I mentioned, Recess Schools Out is tied to the Disney animated show that ran for six seasons that is called Just Recess. And I, I saw this movie a lot when I was a kid, but I never actually watched the TV show. And I think it's a testament to the film, but also the show and how well developed its characters and its premises were that it could just kind of toss you right into what is ostensibly a kind of a finale for the show. And still everything sort of sticks out of context.
1: Right. Absolutely. And I'm in a flip-flop of you, Dan, kind of, in that I watched the TV show all the time. So I looked it up. It ran 1997 to 2001, and probably like 98 through 2000, I was watching it a lot. It aired, it looks like kind of scattershot. Apparently it was both on ABC and UPN, which was the short-lived Paramount network. Uh, But I would watch it after School on ABC as part of their lineup called 1-2-T-O-O, which is confusing. Huh, that is weird. It was called that because it was an extension of the One Saturday Morning lineup, which is when they would air their Disney cartoons on Saturday mornings. Then they started showing them also in the After School afternoon block on weekdays. They called that 1-2. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so just about every school day, like as soon as I got home, I would put recess on. And this was a time when I was in like third and fourth grade. So pretty much exactly the age of the central characters who are fourth graders.
0: Oh, nice. That that really helps. Yeah. It's like um, Toy Story for me was kind of different tone and, and different quantity, but I was always pretty close to the age of Andy, off by a couple years. So I started out a little younger than him, and I think I ended a little older than him, or something along those lines. It, it definitely helps you get into like the emotional texture of the thing you're watching, if you're at the same age as the protagonist.
1: Right. Yeah, and then I didn't encounter the movie, actually, until a while after it came out. Like I think I first saw it probably around 2005 or 2006 when I was in high school, and I rented it from Blockbuster, I actually didn't know it was like a finale to the show. And then it was right around the same time also that I saw a Goofy movie for the first time, finally.
0: Oh, man. Great film. That's interesting. Yeah, I think both are made by Disney Toon Studios, which was the right Disney B-tier animation. Things that didn't actually go into the Walt Disney Animation Studios canon. Yeah, and broadly, they would make
1: movies based on the shows... I think they also have like persisted in some form, and didn't they make that uh, Planes or something?
0: Yeah, I think it's evolved. They've changed the names of it, of the studio, but there's still a B-tier animation studio, or at least there was a couple of years. Who knows with all the mergers and streaming and reorgs they've done recently, whether there's still something like that. Right. Soon everything will just be Max. <laughs> Max versus plus. Maybe that's our, our destiny. Something that's max, all the maxes together. Something that's plus, all the pluses together. hmm <laughs> With indecipherable titles that represent how much of a faceless conglomerate everything is these days. Right. But yeah, so Disney Toon Studios. I talked a little bit about them when I appeared on the Two Friends Watch podcast to talk about a goofy movie. Um, they were also responsible for some of the direct-to-video sequels to Disney features, like The, the Lion King 2 and all those things. So, Which I think is emblematic of them being the B-tier, you know? Right. I take it, well, I know because we've talked about it, that you are a big fan of the Recess show. It, it was formative to you.
1: That's right. So like I said, I I felt a connection to the characters being the same age. I thought the show did a good job of capturing the feeling of what it is to be that age. But I also really like the genre elements. So to people who are not knowledgeable about this show, it borrows a lot from the tradition of prisoner of war films. So specifically The Great Escape, which I hadn't seen when I was watching Recess when I was nine, Um, But also from Hogan's Heroes, which I was familiar with because it was airing on TV land. So the broad idea is the same, that there's this like captive population of kids on the schoolyard, like there's a place that you got to be during the day, uh, but they've developed their own microcosm society and they operate often in clandestine ways under the noses of the authorities who are ostensibly running the place.
0: That's a really good point. Um, I think a great comparison. And I think the show calls those out, too. Right. And the theme song, which we're
1: going to be talking about, is very much in the vein of those two theme songs. It's like a martial. It's got the snare drum and kind of like a a fanfare element.
0: Right. Like a military march, sort of, but like with a playful flavor to it. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's a really good uh, theme song. It gets you in the mood. It gets you kind of excited for a sense of adventure, but you also, it's kind of like spirited. So you're going to be excited for what the kids are going to do. Um, just catchy too. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. We can talk maybe a little bit more about how we evaluate theme songs when we get to our, our second half, because I'm kind of curious what you look for, Brian.
1: For sure. And so in this world, the kids have their own society on the playground and it's a, you know, a monarchy, and everybody's kind of known by what they do. So everybody's got an archetypal role, as you often see in grade school stories.
0: Right. A- and uh, prison war movies, too. Oh, good point. Yeah. And it's also kind of heightened versions of like things you would recognize in reality. Like One that I always thought was clever is like, kindergarteners are like these kind of crazed tribal people, which kind of plays up how... Kindergarteners are sort of like not fully socially developed and don't interact with other kids in the same way and have a sort of wildness to them, which I always find funny. Hmm. So I did catch up with this show for the first time in the past week. Um, I thought I had watched six episodes looking at the list again. I must have balanced between two numbers because each episode actually contains two 12-minute episodes, each episode as it is on, like, a Disney Plus or whatever.
1: Right, two stories in a half-hour chunk. It's
0: like Spongebob or Arthur. Right. So I watched four of the, the Disney Plus episode blocks, which is obviously how it aired when it was on TV, but each one of those contains two. And so I actually watched eight mini-episodes, and I just, I just did the first eight. Brian, you gave me a list of some of your favorites. I didn't get around to checking out all the favorites, although... One or two of the ones you mentioned were in that, that opening set.
1: Mm-hmm. So what I did, I think I mentioned last time, but when Disney Plus came out in November of 2019, Recess, that was the first thing I watched. I watched it all the way through, realized there were a couple episodes that I hadn't seen in the original run, uh, but definitely had strong memories of quite a few of them. And so before this episode, I did send Dan like a sampler platter of recommendations like, okay, here's the ones that have key revelations about the plot, like that Spinelli is an Ashley and that Mikey has a really good singing voice. And the Mikey singing voice comes up in the movie, the Ashley Spinelli never does. But those are things that, like, are are big twists in the show. Uh, But then also, like, my key personal favorite episodes, I I revisited those. Um, My favorite overall is one called Big Brother Chad, which is about Vince's older brother. And Vince is the uh, the African-American member of the group. He's the cool kid. He's good at sports. And in this episode, he's talking about his, his older brother, who's like four years older than the rest of them. He, so he's in eighth grade and not at the elementary school anymore. And they're reminiscing because everybody remembers him being really cool and like, oh, when I was in first grade and he was in fifth, you know, he would help us and speak to us and not talk down and vince says oh well he's going to be coming to school today so you might have a chance to see him again and the rumor spreads all throughout the playground oh big brother chad is coming he's awesome but then he shows up and he's essentially steve urkel he's this big (laughs) nerd he's not what you would expect vince's big brother to be and then Vince has, like, a existential crisis because he's afraid that when he gets older, he's going to metamorphose into an Urkel. And so he has, like, the goofy movie werewolf transformation terror dream about puberty's going to make him an Urkel. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, Chad does show up and they realize that there's, you know, value to... Being that sort of person, too, that he's, you know, he has strengths. It turns out that, like, he's able to scare the bullies away because he says he's not going to tutor them on their math homework anymore and they're going to flunk. And it's, you know, a lot of ideas encapsulated in just 10 minutes, but it pulls it off well. And the big takeaway is that Chad is like really comfortable with who he is. He knows he's a geek. He likes being a geek. And that he has his role to play, too.
0: Yeah. And one thing that I really liked about the ones that I watch is that each episode does a great job kind of merging some adventure story with some sort of genuine childhood insight or bit of character development that it's kind of has a moral, but like it doesn't really rub the moral in your face necessarily necessarily. It kind of elegantly flows with the adventure that you have. And it's actually interesting. I wouldn't say my appreciation of the movie necessarily went down having seen some of the show, but it made the movie seem less miraculous because it really just does what the show does, but just does it on a bigger, grander scale. All of them have a certain earnestness to them that is kind of touching the whole time. Uh, You know, I've only seen less than a, quarter of the show, maybe 10% of the show at this point, but I'll plan to watch more of it. I'm not far from if I keep going in chronological order, a couple of more of the ones you recommended, including the my Big Brother Chad one. But just really impressed with the show overall. I mean I, I think it it really it's the kind of show that if it didn't exist, I would really want it to exist. Like some it's it's almost like if you took some of the tone of the Wonder Years where like each episode, he has to learn some truth, that but also kind of tinted through nostalgia. But instead of like this sort of heart tugging drama that kind of really strives to pierce into the kind of human condition and the teenage condition, um, it's really more of an adventure story.
1: I also feel like it has kind of the same spirit in a way as a show that you know a little bit more about than I do, which is Ned's Declassified. I see that in some ways, you know, the idea of, like, the school society and that it veers into,
0: like, zany territory larger than life. Absolutely. I I wouldn't be shocked if Recess was a major factor on the inspiration of Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide, a Nickelodeon show from the early to mid-2000s. A fantastic show, but it has a lot of the same stuff. It has the episode broken into two pieces. It has the sort of heightened reality it's less of an adventure and it's kind of more of a wacky sitcom type thing with like really wild stereotype characters and kind of Looney Tunes style shenanigans within the middle school sitcom framework. But yeah, it has some of the same things where characters fit a specific mold and kind of develop from there, but also like some genuine thoughts on, uh, the nature of childhood so yeah uh, that's that's a very good comp too
1: i think my second favorite recess episode that i got a shout out is one called the game and this is one where it's about a trading card game that takes over the school and so this of course was like 1998 so right when pokemon was everywhere and you know just disrupting the school day that everybody was bringing pokemon cards to school. And so everybody on the playground gets obsessed with this game called a Jimbo and it like turns them into zombies. They don't want to do anything else. And it turns into like a horror movie. The TJ is the last holdout and he's not in a Jimbo
0: <laughs> zombie yet. And, you know, they're saying one of us, one of us. That's pretty funny. The great example, because it takes this genre thing, zombies, and applies it to this feeling of like being left out and kind of resisting the trends and stuff. Pretty cool. Right. They'll also throw in, like,
1: classic film references that a kid would probably not get. Like, I was just watching one yesterday where there's a Battleship Potemkin reference with the staircase. Oh, man. It's like, oh, wow. Okay.
0: Yeah, uh, there was a couple of those. I'm trying to think if I can remember what they were. Uh, I, I don't remember, but they pull in iconic quotes that might be the first time that kids ever hear those iconic quotes. Like, Though I didn't see, I could have had class, could have been contender, but that's the kind of quote they would just throw into an episode. Something like that. Right, or start of a beautiful friendship or something. Exactly, yeah. And then when you go watch the, the movie, finally, when you're an adult, like, oh, hold on. You say, oh, that's that line from Recess. I've had a lot of that with The Simpsons throughout my life. Many, many things.
1: Definitely. For me, it almost cheapens it a little bit. Like when there's a plot it's in the simpsons so the big one for me that i just learned about within the past year is frank grimes like amazing episode of the simpsons one of my favorites then i learned that that character is ripped it's a michael douglas role in a movie called i think it's falling
0: down oh interesting
1: like they just lifted the character and made a simpsons episode
0: about him huh that's yeah i guess there's a fine line between parody and ripoff to some extent so so here we go. So recess schools out takes place at Third Street School. That's the elementary school they all attend. Last day of school, despite the fact the show ran for five years and it always took place in the same school year. It's kind of like if the Simpsons all of a sudden started having characters age and like episode seasons 30 something, whatever. Now, oh, wait, hold now. Bart's in fifth grade all of a sudden, you know
1: yeah that's crazy. It's gone so far so long with the
0: Simpsons, right and yeah these the main protagonists they're all in fourth grade, like you were saying, Brian, so around eight, nine, ten, maybe, yeah, I would say ten, yeah, nine or ten, and it's the last day of school they're they're up to some shenanigans at the expense of two of the kind of adults I, I don't know if you call them antagonists. Um, Some episodes they are, some episodes they kind of are more sympathetic. And that is the principal named Principal Prickly, and the deputy principal named Mrs. Finster, Muriel Finster. I thought she was the teacher at first, and I forgot that they have a different teacher. So I was surprised when I was watching the show and she's not actually the teacher.
1: Yeah, they're in Miss Grotke's class. Yeah. And Miss Grotke's gimmick is she's like a radical feminist.
0: And a hippie and stuff, right?
1: Right. But yeah, Finster, I think she must have gotten promoted over the course of the show or something, because I think she was like, she was, you know, the supervisor or whatever. She's like the, she's always watching. She's like Roz on Monsters, Inc.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Has a similar voice, too. Like kind of a raspy voice talks like this. Exactly. So the crew is TJ. He's the, the leader Vince, he's the jock and the, I guess, the best friend of TJ, although they're all kind of a tight group. You have Mikey, he's the big sensitive singer. By the way, his singing voice is Robert Goulet, which I thought was pretty funny. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, there's a whole episode where that talent gets revealed. Well, he reveals that he can sing and he starts taking classes with this music tutor that he has a crush on, but she's, you know, a grown person and he's a child and she's like this this can't be a thing i'm i'm an adult and so it's very poignant and then he sings nobody knows the trouble i've seen <laughs> and it's robert goulet
0: yeah we have spinelli so she's the small but feisty and uh dangerous tomboy of the group and she's into wrestling and she's voiced by bobby hill from king of the hill wait really Pamela Adlin. I knew Pamela Adlin, but I didn't I forgot that she she voiced Bobby Hill. That's pretty crazy. Now I can exactly hear it. Thinking about it. Like their two voices matching up. You have Gretchen. She's like the geeky genius girl. The big buck teeth. And then you have Gus, who in one of the first episodes, he moves in. So he's the new kid. And he's kind of a military brat, but he kind of has a very meek personality in contradiction to the fact that he's his dad and his family are military and stuff.
1: Right. So that's pretty much the pilot of the show is him showing up. And so they've all got memories that he doesn't have. And so that is kind of he's like the insert for us, you know? Yeah. yeah. We're just introduced to this world.
0: So the pilot, actually. So the first episode is two parters. The first part is TJ. TJ getting locked in. It's basically setting up the prison escape template. He gets locked inside because his recess privileges are revoked for causing some sort of trouble. And then the gang tries to rescue him throughout that episode. And then part two is the arrival of Gus. But the reason I bring up that first one is because it occurred to me, I I watched the first four episodes and then I rewatched the movie. And it occurred to me that, There's a major portion of this film that basically recreates the pilot or like calls back to the pilot where uh, TJ is locked up and the other kids have to try to find a way to rescue him, which I thought was clever.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like poetry. They rhyme.
0: (laughs) It's going to be great. It's going to be great. So after celebrating after the countdown to the end of the school year, they start talking about their summer plans and it comes out that everyone of the gang except TJ, has plans to leave for camp the next day. So TJ is going to be stuck home alone, despite this being one of the last true childhood summers they have. And we get a montage of him doing lonely things by himself to the tune of One is the Loneliest Number by Three Dog Night. This soundtrack is a banger, or it's it's got bangers on it, I guess I should say. Right. There's so many needle drops. Yeah. Yeah. And they're really good needle drops, too. Like, it pretty much always fits. There's Jimi Hendrix in there when they're they're doing Purple Haze, when they do a flashback to the when the adults were kids later on in the movie. And it ends the credits with the kids kind of dressed up as hippies with Robert Goulet singing Green Tambourine. That's really, really good. Yeah, I really like the credits
1: song because... Well, we'll get into it. But an element of this movie is flashbacks to the teacher's younger days in the late 60s. And so that's kind of a thread in the soundtrack is having these like summer of
0: love numbers. And I think it ties well with the prison escape theme because prison escape movies were big around Vietnam, you know, so it kind of makes sense. So one day, TJ notices some strange stuff going on at third street school, Uh, like weird laser lights going off and weird men walking around and he investigates it. And um, he becomes convinced that something nefarious is going on. He tries to tell his parents and the police, but none of them believe him and the police in this. I don't know if they appear at all in the show and how often they do, but they get like four scenes in this movie. And literally every time I watch the movie, no matter how many times I've seen it, every time they appear, I always laugh because they're these two black guys. It's kind of like a, a skinny guy and a big guy, a Balkan skull vibe. And their shtick <laughs> their is that they don't believe anything that the uh, people come and report. And they always laugh it off, particularly like the outrageous stuff. And uh, one of the cops has... The funniest fake laugh. It's like, um, who are the two guys in The Muppet Show? Statler and Waldorf. They go, no! It's kind of like that, except uh, I don't more infectious to me. It makes me laugh really hard. I, I love these cops here. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is
1: a scene that you've expressed your appreciation for in the past, and it's definitely grown on me. And yeah, I actually don't know if they're in the show, but a great addition to the movie.
0: Yeah. And so uh, the next place that TJ decides to go is to the principal because it's it's stuff going on at school and the principal would be interested. So he goes and finds principal prickly and explains what it is. And after some reluctance, he he goes and checks it out. And when the principal sticks his key into the school key lock to open it up and see what's inside, he gets like electroshocked, science vaporized.
1: Yeah, he's like a pile of dust, like just smoking shoes left over.
0: Yeah, which is a great escalation of the sort of genre kookiness of this. Although I think we've already seen lasers and stuff, so maybe not that much. But So now TJ's thought is the only thing he can do is he has to go get his friends at camp. So what does he do to pick up his friends? Is he blackmails his sister, Becky? Now, based on Wikipedia, my understanding is that Becky is off mentioned, but but never appeared until this movie and she's voiced here by Melissa Joan Hart who was in plenty of sitcoms. Sabrina. Yeah Sabrina. Oh and uh, Clarissa Yeah. Yeah So TJ blackmails her with a copy of her dramatic diary and we get some dramatic readings of the diary uh, where she has a crush on a guy who works at the fast food place with her. The snippets of that always make me laugh They're always like getting
1: off in the grease <laughs> It always involves grease.
0: Yeah. The the shimmer of his hair coated with the grease of the deep fryer type stuff. So he uses that to get her to drive to the camps and pick up the kids. And when they get there, he, he basically explains what's going on. And they start to investigate. And at first it looks like nothing is going on. And they, they think maybe TJ made this up. But then just as they're about to storm off and head back to camp, the giant laser comes out of the school roof and shoots up into the sky. And I always like the reveal of this. There, there's a lot of things in here that I've quoted frequently throughout my life, but TJ is kind of stammering explaining that he didn't actually uh, concoct this thing to get them back. And he's saying, you guys got to believe me. I, I, and then the laser comes out and he says, I, 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 I. And just the cadence of that is something that I've said and thought in my head many times.
1: So how did you first see this movie? Did you see it in theaters?
0: No, I didn't. We got it on VHS. I don't know how or when we got it on VHS, but this is one of three movies or so that I fondly remember watching in a van VHS. So one thing that's come up every now and then on the show is that I'm the oldest of six. I have a lot of siblings. And if you do the math on that, that's eight people, including my parents, the large majority of minivans go up to seven. And so my parents got a Ford Econovan, van, a 12-person van. It has an extra row in the back, more than most minivans do. And they got a VHS and small TV screen installed when they bought the car. So on road trips, we would all watch it. And it had the grainiest sound. Like the engine revving would like make it sound staticky and stuff. But we had a lot of fond memories of that. Um, the movies that we watched most often there were Recess Schools Out, Monsters, Inc., and Shrek. And every now and then also uh, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, which is another movie I have a lot of fondness for that I could pick sometime for the, for the pod. Oh, that would be good. I've actually never watched any of the Home Alones. Oh, man. that would, Maybe we'll do that this this winter. I'll, I'll, I'll pencil it in. That'll be
1: good. So... On the topic of watching movies in cars, I never had a VHS set up. One time I went to camp in somebody's car who had a VHS player set up and we watched Rescuers Down Under. But we did eventually have a DVD player in the van and we would watch Super Size Me, me and my brother.
0: Oh, interesting. I haven't seen Super Size Me I get a little bit carsick, not that bad, but I feel like something that's about just gorging on food, which I also don't really like gross food challenges. I feel like that wouldn't be great for me. (laughs) So now with everyone convinced that there is indeed a major conspiracy going on here at the school, they plot their next moves, which is basically an ongoing nighttime stakeout with Becky, the sister, basically driving the kids back and forth. It seems like a big imposition on her. I always thought that this was kind of mean-spirited against Becky. Like, they could have made it a little nicer somehow. Definitely. When
1: I heard she's got to do it every day, it's like, no, that's impractical. Figure out a different way to do this.
0: Yeah. We get some fun montages at the camp as part of it, though, but that, that's all right. And we also see them as they're doing this kind of reminiscing on how this is, you, we said at the beginning, one of their last summers, sort of an end of a childhood. And they fondly think of summer's past, including when the sister Becky taught them all a song, John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. And this is another one that always makes me smile because we get the the Robert Goulet voice, the really deep, sonorous voice coming out of Mikey. Just very charming. So this scene bugs me
1: a little bit. Really? Okay. Just because like it's got that very sentimental build up. It's like remember that song that we all sang that we bonded over and then it's like the most inane song. I don't know. I feel like it should have a little more emotional oomph in this song and then they're singing John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I guess I found some humor in the juxtaposition of it just being kind of a banal childhood song also with the Robert Goulet deep voice but then them kind of happily singing it together. I can see what you're saying, though. If it was a little more poignant, it might work. Although it's fun to see them also happy to sing it, I guess. That's true. It's a good moment of conviviality. So that night during their stakeout, they notice more activity at the school and they sneak in and they find this sci-fi operation going on in there. We're finally learning what the, the scheme is inside the school. This is where we get our full introduction to the villain who we've kind of seen in the shadows. And it's a character named Dr. Philliam Benedict, who's kind of like a well-dressed Bond villain, basically. And he's voiced by James Woods, who you would recognize as the voice of Hades from Hercules. Right.
1: Or a few other things. Uh, I mean, that's the big voice role, obviously. I just watched Video Videodrome by David Cronenberg. Oh, yeah. He's the star of that one. That's a really weird movie. Oh, nice. The interesting thing about the animation of this character is that he has piercing blue eyes and like everybody else in the movie just has, you know, cartoon black pupils. They don't have distinct irises.
0: Mm. So this
1: guy has these vivid blue irises around his pupils and it's a weird look. He looks like he's from a different show or something.
0: It does make him seem kind of eerie. Yeah. We learn that his plot is he, the laser that we've been seeing is actually a tractor beam, which is a beam that can lift something and move it to another spot. But it's a giant tractor beam that's going to grab the moon and move it to a different trajectory, which will impact the ocean currents and effectively turn North America into a frozen wasteland, which would thereby end the biggest recess of all, summer vacation. And Benedict's whole thing is that kids shouldn't be playing. They should be learning so they can be productive adults. So they can raise test scores and stuff. And so this is kind of pushing back thematically and narratively against that idea. I like this plot for a supervillain to try and turn America into an Iceland. It's kind of hilariously corny and just like a goofy sci-fi thing. There's kind of some some 50s sci-fi homage stuff in here, just in how how cheesy some of it is. And it also doesn't stand up to, like, even a second's worth of scrutiny. Like, the, wow, what about all the farmers? And don't you think that maybe other people would notice that there's something going on with the moon? And yeah.
1: I mean, he's very much presented as unhinged. Yeah. Like, and what I kind of liked this watch through was that all of the things that he blames on other people are just clearly his fault like he holds these grudges that aren't really grounded in anything real he exaggerates everything and and blames other people um but the selection of this guy as the antagonist makes sense as a capper to the show because it's kind of like well who would the villain be how do you have someone who's an antagonist to recess as a concept And it's like, yeah, even in it's in the past. So he has a history as an educator and they kind of give a backstory that he had previously been opposed just to recess. But now, yeah, he's going to eliminate Summer entirely.
0: And we get a bit of a backstory, a a flashback where we see that he and Prickly and Finster were kind of all uh, idealistic young adults in the hippie times they, they say groovy and they sit on beanbags and they listen to Jimi Hendrix and they have like uh, the stereotypical hippie clothes. And Benedict is appointed the principal of the school, but prickly in sort of a juxtaposition because he's kind of the naysayer and he's kind of the the stodgy old guy who wants everyone to behave correctly. But he's the one who actually stands up for the rights of recess. The, the dignity and value of recess in the flashback portion. And so this kind of has a poignance to it because now, you know, he kind of values childhood and wants kids to be able to enjoy that, even if he understands that his role is to kind of try and keep things on the the, the straight and narrow, the, the correct kind of or path of order, I suppose. But he also has this kind of heart of gold connection to Recess. I, I think it very well done and executed. I don't know enough about Prickly's character in the show to see if this stands up to it. But I, I really like it here.
1: I think that's the best part of this movie is how they humanize and deepen Prickly's character.
0: And he, he gets some bonding with TJ because oh, during this investigation, TJ actually gets captured. So this is where we get the callback to the pilot. Or the, the parallel of it, at least. So You know,
1: some of these same ideas get explored over the course of The Simpsons, which has been drawn out just endlessly. But it's like the Bart and Skinner dynamic a little bit. I mean, Bart is worse than TJ ever gets. But that idea that, you know, they're constant nemeses, but there are situations in which they
0: see eye to eye. That's true. I think... I think you're onto something. There's at least some episodes of The Simpsons. I mean, they've done every variation of every story at this point. So, yeah. But sometimes that is kind of true. We get flashes of humanity for Seymour Skinner. And so then we hit the climax of the film where the rest of the kids come up with this grand plan to both rescue TJ and halt Benedict's evil plan. And so sort of this uh, climax, there's been like all sorts of, Various tropey genre villains and guards at the as part of the operation. There's ninjas for some reason, which endlessly amused me as a kid. Like they even have a line: "Ninjas? Why is it gotta be ninjas?" Which I take to be a reference to Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. What is it? Snakes? Is that why? What he says it for? Right. I
1: mean, he says snakes in the movie, so. Yeah, the ninjas, even just to evoke that line, I mean, the ninjas are random. They got nothing to do with with Indiana Jones, but it is funny. Yeah, I I like it that that's a line of defense.
0: Yeah. And then this kind of these kind of thug enforcer guys who are like kind of stereotypical men in black type agents where they have the sunglasses and the earpieces and
1: very shady I also noticed that the, like, scientist goons, the guys working the kind of mission control consoles under James Woods, they've got, like, six different ways of being bald. <laughs> they have all these different
0: thinning hairstyles. So really just this delightful pastiche combo platter type thing of all these gen- this genre stuff. And it's this big epic conclusion where you actually get, here's another Home Alone comparison. Part of it is they come up with, like, these... Turning these childhood things into weapons that would take down adults—not just adults, but like supervillains, basically. So one is they—they they have Mikey stand up like in the vision of all the guards and sing "Nesum Dora, Nesum Dora," and whenever the guards come to check up on them, they get tripped and fall into this pit. So they're capturing the guards in the pit, and there's a thing where they. Throw out marbles. So the guards slip on marbles and lots of stuff like that. Uh, Just lots of good little fun shenanigans stuff. And ultimately, they uh, they do end up halting the plan. Basically, it's about to the laser is about to go off, but they get Vince, who had been struggling at baseball camp because it's not just the same as hanging out with his buddies to throw a baseball and hit the laser and, and make it blow up. And Dr. Benedict gets arrested, and there's kind of a nice farewell between Prickly and t j as the movie kind of fades out and t j gets to spend the rest of his summer with his friends who decide to hang out at home for for this this last childhood summer this last one of the last pure childhood summers for them
1: right, so they all run off, and it the shot lingers on Prickly in his office. And what does he take out? Is it like a peace medallion or some some hippie token that he's like, he either puts it on or he's just holding it in his hand as he looks out the window at them running off for the summer. But it plays let the sunshine in. Yeah. As it the shot pulls out from him. I really like that moment.
0: I just looked it up. It's it's like uh we had seen him when he was a young adult wearing a peace medallion on his, his neck. And so he he pulls that out too. Yeah. So, but I agree. It's, it's a really nice ending and yeah, it, it kind of humanizes the principle and it almost brings it full circles, like the circle of life. You know, you have, you're a kid and then you're a young adult and then you're an old adult and all you have are kind of the fond memories of when you were younger. And, but even more importantly, the ability to encourage and support and protect the youth of the next generation. So it's, it's a touching moment.
1: Exactly. And prickly even has a line in exchange with tj where he's like do you think i don't remember being a kid every adult that you know was a kid and remembers being a kid so don't think that they don't i think that's a great interaction
0: it kind of breaks down the walls of the very premise of recess where you kind of have these totally separated authority figures who are adults who just don't understand schoolyard life and then here at the very last thing that Recess would ever do. Although I think they did do one follow-up movie or something, but... Yeah, they did a direct-to-video
1: thing called Taking the Fifth, which is just three episode-length stories of them in fifth grade, and it really adds nothing. Really? Okay. (laughs) So, yeah, not really essential viewing, other than one of the segments is a Halloween episode, so I kind of like that, but it's almost like, why didn't they just do a season that way or something rather than this random offering but
0: yeah and that's recess schools out from 2001 some good things some not so good things so I'll just toss out a couple there a couple just overall the script is really good it's just a well-written movie I mean within the the genre and the stakes and stuff it has I I kind of have trouble imagining this movie being much better. There's like a few plot hole structural character choices that I would fix. Like, yeah, it felt kind of mean spirited to to Becky. And we kind of have two climactic chase scenes once where they discover the base and then once where they take down the base and it felt a little repetitive. But, uh, you know, it's it's a feature length movie of a kids TV show. And given those parameters, the script is really good. It's It's got a lot of really funny lines that I think of all the time. One of my most quoted lines from anything, not just this movie, but from anything, is when Finster is investigating the school herself and she sees ninjas running around and the kids running around and all sorts of crazy stuff. She says, what the JP Morgan is going on around here? And that's a line I say a lot. What the JP Morgan is going on around here? Just a, a great old person line. Like You could hear uh, Montgomery Burns saying that line, too. <laughs> and then just lots of great setup and payoff. Very satisfying. Like, oh, they'll mention one thing here and then towards the end of the movie, it'll come up again and be meaningful in some way. And uh, yeah. And I also think the script does a really good job of setting up the, ca- of sorry, of having the characters be distinct and have interesting things to do that kind of relate to the character. So Like, I feel like I knew these characters, even though it's like supposedly the finale for a show, just from watching this 90 minute movie.
1: That's a good point. Yeah, a successful movie, it's got to stand on its own legs. And so it's good that it does that. Uh, For me, of course, having the background experience watching the show, it's harder for me to see it as its own entity. But I, I mean, I think you can just see this and understand who everybody is and where they're coming from. So that's a strength. Yeah. Not the kind of thing perhaps that we saw in Thomas and the Magic Railroad.
0: (laughs) Very good point. This is an example of tacking on a movie to a show and having it deepen the show also stand alone really well. It's kind of hard to do. Another example of that is Blue's Big Musical, which is the Blue's Clues movie which why would you need to deepen Blue's Clues? I don't know, but go see Blue's Big Musical and you'll see that it makes the show better. Is that what you rented out the theater to show? No, that would be a fun one though, wouldn't it? I've actually never seen Blue's Big Musical, so... Have you seen any episodes of Blue's Clues? Oh yeah. Okay, well that's one that we could talk about in the future. I'm very fond of Blue's Clues and Blue's Big Musical. And all of
1: this said, I would encourage you, Dan... And listeners to go out and watch some more Recess, the show, if you have not.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely plan to. And then kind of already mentioned the other things I like, I mean, just the blend of genre and sentimentality stuff. You got shenanigans and heartfelt, which is great. And the soundtrack just I'm going to pull up a list of songs because I want to shout out some of them. We got Dancing in the Street by Martha and the Vandellas, Born to be Wild." Wipe Out, the surf rock song, Let the Sunshine In, you mentioned. So just lots of great late 60s, early 70s songs. I think those might be all late 60s. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah. I really like the dancing in the street scene. It's like one of the big fight scenes. And I think that's when I could be wrong, but when like word has spread and now all the ensemble cast has showed up, it's like all the buses from all the camps roll in and so then everybody's involved in the big battle. Well, I thought
0: that that was at the. Uh, or is that at the start? Is that yeah. at the start when the summer? It's summertime, right? Like when the the when the kids count down and the bell rings and it's the end of the school year and everybody's in like a a frenzy of celebration. It's a very cathartic moment. I think that's when they do dancing in the street.
1: You're right, but that's a good moment too. My favorite part of that is that you know the teachers come out into the halls and they're like, "Hey, stop running." What do you think this is? And then they realize it's the last day of school. And then the teachers are jumping around and hugging each other.
0: Great point. And in general, this this movie does a really good job of having the adults be kind of wacky stereotypes, but also have some humanity to them. Like every adult seems by the end of this movie, other than the villain, I would say, as somewhat sympathetic and somewhat human. Right. Even Finster. But yeah, Brian, any other good things or or not so good things you wanted to shout out? I'm pretty much ready to discuss Is It Good, Dan. Cool. And I'm hoping that your Is It Good will address kind of how you feel about this movie in the context of the show, too, because I'm kind of curious about that. So Is It Good is our signature section where we each give the movie a rating on our eight-point goodness scale, ranging from very not good, a one out of eight, to our masterpiece rating, toward a good, An eight out of eight. Brian, is Recess Schools Out
1: good? So it's a little difficult for me to consider it like as a standalone thing, uh, because I just have so much love for the TV show. A while back, I was doing a blog series on Dan's website about my favorite shows, and I only got like not even a third of the way through writing all the entries I wanted to write Like, I wanted to do a top 66 titles, and I only got through, like, a little over 10, maybe. Maybe 15. Anyway, the point is, I have the master list of what I was gonna write, and Recess was in, like, the top 20 shows. I really think it's a great premise, and executed really well, where it does have, like, that prison or. Where it does have that prisoner of war genre aspect and, you know, is fun for that reason and delivers on all those tropes and beats, Uh, but is also just like a touching grade school story and all the characters feel real, uh, even despite or maybe because of their archetypal nature. And, you know, the adults are funny as well as the kids. I always liked King Bob. We haven't name-dropped King Bob yet, but the way that he rules. And then to see at the beginning of this movie that, oh, the new king is being crowned. That, for me, was the biggest indication that time was suddenly passing for the first time. Um, So I think I would give the show an eight. Some really, really strong episodes and just a good series overall that if you haven't seen you should see i'm gonna give a six to the movie and so it's it's a good finale i think it's very good that's what we call our six out of eight like i said it just harder for me to see it as like an entity that exists as its own thing
0: where are you at dan very nice so I have actually already published a review of this on my website, thegoodsreviews.com. And my argument there, which I've kind of reiterated here, is that I kind of have trouble imagining this being better than it is given the input parameters as both a standalone and what, you know, I hadn't seen the show when I wrote the review, but as a payoff of the premise of like kind of a long running childhood series that was all during the same school year as kind of a farewell to that. And so for me, the I gave it a seven out of eight an exceptionally good. Now, I do feel like now that I've seen um, some of the show that it feels a little bit less miraculous. I think it was the phrasing that I used earlier, like, oh, this is just what the show does really well. And now I'm experiencing it, which you know maybe diminishes my thought on the movie specifically just because now i see it as part of a bigger whole um so i'm right on the edge of the 6 and the 7 i i feel like my my nostalgia and my fondness is going to force me to pick a 7 for this uh, an exceptionally good and i think if i were to rate the show as a whole from what i've seen it would be a, an upper end 7 an exceptionally good as well
1: Right. I think we're not too far apart.
0: Yeah. The phenomenon that you're
1: talking about where, like, you really, really like the one thing and then you learn more and realize that it's part of, like, a bigger constellation of media and that it's not sui generis, that it did emerge and is part of a bigger tradition. I felt that same thing. Everybody knows I love Breaking Bad. Always find a reason to talk about Breaking Bad. But... Like then I watched Scarface with Al Pacino, which is, of course, itself a remake, but like so many Scarface elements and just like gangster films more largely are brought into Breaking Bad. So interesting. Everything
0: comes from somewhere. Yeah. Didn't think we'd be comparing Recess to Scarface and and Breaking Bad, but here we have it. With Brian, you can always count on a Breaking Bad pull in. So, Brian, I think uh, we are going to pause recording for a bit and then resume and discuss the top five TV theme songs inspired by our love of Recess and its excellent theme song. So I look forward to discussing that with you and listeners. Thanks, as always, for listening. Tune in soon for the top five TV theme songs. (laughs)